Hi everyone and welcome back to How to Save the Planet. I am Mona, your favourite climate campaigner and this is a podcast where we discuss what's been going on in the environmental world and look at what you can do to help it. I'm joined by Louisa Louisa today. Say hi Louisa. Hello. Um, I am all right. I'm ready for kind of end of the year and some time to sleep. Um, but you know what, Mona, actually, I'm pretty unhappy about something very specific. And I think you know what. Yeah, I'm sad to, well, I'm, this, I'm afraid this will be my last podcast episode as a host. Anyway, um, I am sadly leaving Friends of the Earth for Pastures New, but do not fret, there will be two new wonderful presenters who will be joining to talk about a whole series exploring the green and fair recovery work um, and what that means for you and what that means for um, yeah, the reality we live in. Um, but I am gutted. I love this podcast so much. I love working on it, speaking to wonderful people. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to be sobbing in a corner for about a week. Uh, as will we all, to be honest with you, uh, yeah, it's... Um... Uh, you did it. You did a good job of spinning that to be exciting in the new series, and I I will back that up. That I think we're gonna have a some good kind of deep dives into what a world post Corona could look like. But um, yeah, it's it is really sad to see you go. And uh, yeah, I think I can speak for everyone at Friends of the Earth to say uh, please reconsider. And <laughs> I'm now gonna enter very strict negotiations. <laughs> uh, we'll take this offline um, into some yeah formal conversations <laughs> exactly um okay so even though my world is stopping because i'm leaving you guys the outside world has not stopped when it comes to climate news yep so while while we've still got your expertise here can you can you tell us what's been going on yes so one of the big things we've seen is uh the prime minister boris johnson's unveiled his 10 point plan for a green industrial revolution now essentially um a lot of the points you'd be uh, unsurprised to hear really don't meet the mark what we need to address the climate crisis but one area genuinely did and that was um the a phase out date so the date that they'll ban the sale of new petrol and diesel cars has been brought forward to 2030 now this is a massive win for communities up and down the country you know even at friends of the earth we've campaigned for around around this in terms of um air pollution and climate emissions so this is one thing we can generally um celebrate um and thank you all and the partners and you know communities we've been working with to achieve this um it's a big win louisa it's massive i actually it's one of those things where i did it a bit i think i did a bit of a double take when i saw it because the yeah the the ban on that on petrol and diesel cars is like it's something that even when i first i've only been at friends of the earth for a couple of years and i remember even joining then when the conversations happened it seemed so unrealistic that like we would get to that point um because it was yeah because it's you know it wasn't a popular option and it seemed like a big such a big move to make so it's one of the yeah it's one of those things i'm like this that's that's legitimately really good um this like all the campaigning that so many people have done over so many years has it's really worked and we've got something concrete and you know obviously there's always more to push for and there's other things in that 10 point plan that we we need to push to get better but i think yeah i, th I think it's a really nice moment to be able to take stock and be like we like the movement did that 
we pushed for something big and and we've got it that's a really exactly. exciting time and there's a hopeful message in there right as sometimes we campaign for things and it feels so far away from achieving it but actually like consistent and su- and sustainable activity and like campaigning does work and people power does work so even if something feels far away now keep going and be inspired by the wins like this which show that we can get the job done for sure it's definitely given me a yeah given me a boost yeah i'm here for it um in terms of uh, kind of other things happening in the world now this is uh, uh things have been uh, i guess published by the government and the committee on climate change who are essentially the government's official advisors um on what they need to be doing um and they've essentially said things of kind of like what do we need to do to get on track um and what are the specific targets the government needs to meet by 2030 now the main thing and my kind of big takeaway from all of this is that none of this really matters if we don't start to see any of the action now so what we need the government to do is to really stop spending like 27 billion pounds on road kind of building programs stop investing our taxpayer money in in funding fossil fuels abroad and start investing in the action we need to see now because 2030 2050 those targets don't mean anything if we actually don't have the action behind them so we are going to talk today to Tori Choi. He's an intersectional climate activist and mental health advocate. Uh, so before we go into the interview, I want to give a bit of a background. So uh, she's fantastic, in short. Um, and with a group of kind of young activists around the world, um, including Ina Maria Chicongo and Mitzi Janelle Tan, Tori launched a campaign called Pass the Mic um, over the summer, which is sort of calling on celebrities and famous environmentalists to share their platform with underrepresented voices particularly those in the global south and we'll get into that a little bit uh, with Tori um, but most prominently that happened kind of around David Attenborough and again we'll cover that a bit so that's one of the things we'll be talking about. As well as the climate work Tori is a mental health advocate um, and we interestingly speak about the relationship between um, our, the climate change and our mental health um, and as you know Christmas and the holidays are fast approaching um, and they can be a great time in terms of festive the festivities but they can also be pretty stressful especially when we're not able able to be around our loved ones as much as we'd like so i'm very excited that we got into that um, and she gives us some useful tips on how to manage this time of year so without further ado let's get into it tori welcome say hi to the people hi thank you so much for having me how are you i know louise and i are really excited to speak to you how are you how have you been oh god i mean I kind of briefly mentioned prior to the interview, but it's a bit dreary in Bristol and I think it's kind of like a testament to how this year's kind of been and how it's kind of wrapping up. But I'm also trying to find joy in the smaller things and also trying to think about the year ahead after this and capitalise on that. What What's working for you right now, Tori, for the finding joy in the smaller things? Because I feel like we're all at that stage of end oh of 2020. God. Where can we eke some joy from? <laughs> what's, what's working? Uh, you know, starting with really, really rudimentary things. When I think about the winter season, the first thing I think about is seasonal depression, which I really struggle with um, because I grew up in Hong Kong. So I'm used to having sunshine all year round. And in fact, this time of the year in Hong Kong is like a British summer, like a nice British summer. Um, So for me, I have to think really realistically about kind of taking care of my body's needs. So I sit in front of one of those like big SAD lamps, which is super, super bright. 
and I kind of joke <laughs> sunglasses. That, yeah, I kind of joke that I'm photosynthesizing um, over the winter period, and then I also take vitamin D supplements, and that helps massively. And I know that kind of you know when we think about seasonal depression, it creeps up on us, and we don't even realize that we're feeling low until it's kind of in full swing. So I really encourage people to just check in, see if that's something that you think you might suffer from, and speak to your doctor. And then, of course, just I am a sucker for festive things. Um, again, kind of like drawing back on my childhood in Hong Kong, it wasn't really something I celebrated that intensely. So now that I'm in the UK, which is really festive compared to Hong Kong, I try and capitalise on that joy and just trying to find some some sort of like quieter, simple moments where I can just have some mulled wine and eat some mince pies. <laughs> yeah, that is, yeah, that is me. Um, I was going to ask, because I think, I think you raised such a good point about mental health. Um, and obviously, as well as being a mental health advocate, you are a climate advocate as well. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's so interesting because I don't think the two are ever really connected or spoken yeah. about like they are like intertwined and actually recently being you know cooped up inside and not really having for me like a proper you know garden space or access to nature I've definitely felt the two um you know how do you think for you the kind of the both are related um and, and, and do you actually see them as connected as well oh my gosh completely for me my mental health is a direct reflection of planetary health in many ways I don't think they are talked about enough and that's something that I'm really trying to bridge the gap on because as someone who suffers from chronic mental health conditions it's it's my reality but then exacerbated by kind of the world's current state the climate crisis we're talking about eco-anxiety a lot these are a lot of realities that I experience but you know it on that topic it's it's quite um quite a bit of joyful news but I am actually writing a book about eco-anxiety yeah but not in the sort of traditional sense that people think about um a lot of my uh, work is going to be focused on people from the global south and and also focused on kind of like how eco-anxiety really centers a lot of us in the global north when we really have to be thinking about sort of like the impacts of the climate crisis on people who experience it on the front lines um so I'm going to be working with a really amazing group of activists that either I've worked with before or really admire to kind of put this together. Um, so it's something that I think about a lot. And I think that in this pandemic as well, you know, it's no surprise that we are all feeling incredibly depressed, some of us, you know, stressed out, hopeless. And this is all a direct reflection of kind of what's happening in the world. And I believe that environments and, and the climate are more than just sort of physical. I think they're really social as well. Okay, so Tori, can you tell us a little bit about your origin story? How did you, yeah, how did you become an activist? How did you get involved in this sort of work? Yeah, so I actually started being an environmental campaigner growing up in Hong Kong, but it was more for the, the stuff that was kind of local to Hong Kong. So shark finning was something that I was very, very outspoken about in high school. Um, and then also our waste problem. Hong Kong has a really, really big waste problem as a very densely populated city. So I carried that kind of ethos into my work when I studied at university and then eventually moved to the UK. My so first foray into thinking that this could be a sort of um, career was actually thinking about going into the wildlife filmmaking industry. I'd studied conservation at university and after that I was like, right, I want to be a communicator, not a researcher. And I moved to Bristol in hopes of getting into the industry. But I actually just found that 
what I was talking about a lot of the time was the climate crisis and biodiversity loss and all of these things which while they are touched upon in the industry it's not like their principal messaging shall we say like it's always about love for the natural world and so from that I started getting involved with a lot more protests specifically Extinction Rebellion in Bristol and the big protests that they had in London um, and from that actually um, I got scouted for a campaign with Stella McCartney so it was like a sort of visual ode to the planet which was written by Jonathan Safran Foa and voiced by Jane Goodall um, it was a really big like yeah a big moment for me and it kind of set off this chain of events where Stella ended up sponsoring me to sail across the Atlantic Ocean to the UN COP25 um, and then yeah from that I've just kind of like really made campaigning my main focus. At the moment with so much going on in the climate movement as well as obviously 2020 in general um, and kind of it seems like there's constantly new announcements how how do you find that balance of keeping up to date with what's happening and kind of doing what the activist work that you um, believe in with also not overstretching yourself and kind of just yeah burning out? That's a really good question I think that inevitably I'm always kind of up to date with this news because of the fact that I'm involved in a lot of like uh, communities and you know direct action groups or ones that have now kind of transformed into the online realm so for me it's something that I'm always aware of and I think that one of the things that I really try and strike a balance with is you know I use this information to motivate the work that I do which keeps me busy and keeps me sort of afloat mentally but then also taking a step back and, and trying to find time for joy. One of the things that I think is quite unique to my existence compared to, say, a lot of climate activists is that I'm quite active on social media, um, which has its benefits and its downsides. And I really try and take a step back from it. I decided yesterday evening as well, you know, completely honest here that my mental health isn't great. So it's just laborious trying to exist online and respond to people's messages and try and put on a brave face and talk about these things when you're not feeling 100% yourself. So I made the decision I'm just going to kind of take a step back for the next five days or so. Um, and I think it's really important to, to see your rest as a form of resistance in a world that wants to see you burn out. Activists are treated as disposable. Our existence is not, you know, um, seen as important. We're not seen as people who add value or deserve value. So for me, a lot of the time, I really try and prioritise taking a step back as a way that says, hey, I'm actually in this for the long run and you're not going to get rid of me that soon. So, No, I really, really love that because I think you're an activist, but also you we engage with the world, you know, maybe from a place of being a minority. You could be, you know, a woman, queer, a person of colour. And the world isn't designed to empower and uplift you. Um, and often you you just feel so guilty sometimes. By, like, you, you feel like you have to be on all the time. And actually having yeah. that self-awareness to be like, I, I can't do anything for the movement or for the world right now if I'm not okay. And, and that and that form of rest can look like whatever it looks like for you but not it's almost like a trick that I feel like <laughs> the people that we're fighting against or you know the issues we're fighting against that use it's like you've got to be on otherwise you don't care and I really love that like seeing it as a form of resistance and as a form of self-love as well um Completely. and being compassionate to yourself and I think it's really important to mention that so many of these teachings and learnings are, are 
kind of the labor of black women and the labor of a lot of uh, POC mm. activists who have championed racist resistance for a long time. The first person that comes to mind is Audrey Lord, who's a queer black feminist. And I, I think so much about these women who have paved the way for how it informs my thinking. And it's, it's just a testament to the fact that their identities are, have always been controversial in a world that wants to see them fail. And I think that the fact that they're championing this is a sign that we need to support minorities and we also need to support people who exist in this space because a lot of the time for a lot of POC activists it is trauma and especially for me talking about my mental health it, it is trauma and it's it's not it's not something that's always so um, easy and breezy and beautiful and it doesn't always come naturally to me like I have to sometimes consciously put myself out there to encourage people to think about their health yeah um, no I think that's a really good point and I guess um you know speaking about like amplifying the voices of minorities and you know centering I guess the most affected uh, communities first you were kind of involved in um the past the mic campaign with uh, around kind of David Attenborough's sudden you know joining of Instagram and honestly uh, like seeing a follow account that I've never seen before uh, in my life um and why do you think it was so important for you that um kind of to push really really kind of almost iconic figures in our communities to pass the mic i think there's this like kind of preconception with a lot of celebrities and people of influence that even though they've done a lot for the world they don't have a responsibility afterwards and i know that might come across as a bit kind of some people have called me entitled for saying this you know it's sir david attenborough he's done so much but the thing is he like many other environmental figures in the movement have kind of been you know, the people that we look to, and he's not going to be around for much longer, which is really sad to think about. But it's also a chance for us to reimagine who the sort of um, beacons of inspiration and wisdom and change are going to be in the future. And so many of the answers and ways of living that we need to champion are upheld and lived in reality by most affected people in most affected areas. And I think it's so unfair as well in the climate movement. And I'm I'm saying this as well as someone with a lot of privilege in the climate movement, being based in the global north, obviously having an education in climate science. Um, I've been graciously amplified in so many ways. I just think it's really unfair that so many people who literally dedicate their lives to this, who are on the front lines, uh, are not given the recognition that they deserve. And this campaign wasn't meant to be a sort of way of you know, undermining anything that Sir David has done. It's more about the fact that we appreciate him and now it's his time to pass the mic. It's his time to kind of share the spotlight to, you know, advocate for people who are on the front lines because I don't think that influential people have done that enough. And uh, for listeners we might have who kind of didn't clock David Attenborough's uh, brief Instagram journey and kind of what what this uh, what the past the mic campaign was calling for, could you give a little bit of an intro? Yeah, sure. So David Attenborough broke records over the summer for being the fastest growing Instagram account to reach a million followers. It was overtaken by Rupert Grint, who recently joined oh, no. Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, so David Attenborough got a million followers in like five hours and Rupert Grint got a million followers in something like 4.5. Yeah, so it's like, it was record breaking. 
And then his Instagram account was created by people who produced Our Planet, his latest documentary for Netflix. It was a marketing thing, in essence. Um, and then after the marketing for the film, they just kind of abandoned it, which was such a waste, considering they'd amassed a following of 6.2 million people who were ready to listen and ready to learn and ready to mobilise around the environment. So for me, it was kind of like, what? Surely it doesn't even need to be him, but like rebrand the account, turn it into something else, you know, create a platform where you're talking about environmental stories. You guys have definitely got the the finances and the um, the labour behind it, like somebody would do it. And then there was no response. So I was like, right, okay, I'm going to get, <laughs> I'm going to mobilise some people. So I started talking to some friends and activists who are based in the Global South and people I've worked with before and they were really behind it. So we put together a campaign video, a little reel, and it eventually landed us in a virtual room with the people managing, so David's Instagram account. Um, and as a result, we've put together some proposals for them for how they can use the account in the future. And they're going to be talking uh, with other sort of key stakeholders in January to reopen the account essentially for the purposes that we've kind of laid out and we've also created an instagram ourselves past the mic climate it's you know very early days but we want to champion that message um and apply it to other celebrities brands platforms of influence to create space for a lot of global south and most affected people and areas essentially that's a, that sounds like a really positive outcome as well Definitely. And I, I'm just going to put it out there that I think that, you know, I I don't think I'm the answer for the climate movement. I don't think that any one person is the answer. And I'm certainly not everyone's cup of tea. I'm a very outspoken person. I talk a lot about the climate. I talk a lot about systems of oppression, which as much as I think they're very, very, very important, they're not necessarily going to tap into the sort of love that people have for the environment that, say, someone like Sir David Attenborough has. And if we can kind of create these bridges between the climate movement and people of influence, that's when we're going to start seeing real change. I often talk about the echo chamber as something being quite dangerous, but also something that's really nourishing for vulnerable people in a world that invalidates them. But part of my sort of like action for trying to break the echo chamber that I'm in is working with people who have a lot of influence, people who can relay these messages in a way that I can't, like realistically, I'm not the best person to speak about these things if I really want to galvanise change and engage people. I think people of huge influence who have a lot of fans, who have a lot of admirers, are the ones who will do a better job of it than me. Uh, what I can do, however, is create facilitations between activists and this world where we have a lot of celebrities and people of influence. No, I hear you. And I think you're right. There is no one person. You know, I think we need role models from each community. You know, there is no one universal hero that can explain the climate crisis in a way that resonates with everybody. So I totally hear you on that. Um, but maybe there is something that you can illuminate for us. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> this is my... Uh, oh, it's a beautiful segue, <laughs> Mana. <laughs> Can't wait to see where we I, land. I mean, <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, well, I guess, obviously, it's the idea we're speaking about, you know, the festive season and um, wanting to really lean into that joy. Um, and, you know, it's we, we're living in 2020 and we might not be able to see or hug our families in the way that we wanted to. Um, 
Um, and we want to also try and make ourselves happy this season. So I don't know if you've got any answers for how we can take care of ourselves um, and each mm. other whilst also caring for the planet this Christmas. Definitely. I mean, I've kind of alluded to some really basic rudimentary needs, but beyond that, I think it's so important to rest this holiday season. I think a lot of people still see the end of the year as a, a final hurdle, a time to just kind of push, 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 get all that work done, you know, try and be productive. But it's the end of the year. We slow down. The winter season kicks in for a reason. Like this is a time for us to regenerate. And I think we can learn a lot from nature. Like, you know, the, the, the natural world slows down during the winter period. There are animals that hibernate, like leaves fall off trees. Why can't we reflect that in the way that we kind of take care I know, of ourselves? I be a squirrel. Yeah, exactly. So like, for me, I see that as a as an extension of our being. And I want to really encourage people to think about just like taking a step back. And I know it's so hard not to feel guilty. I feel guilty all the time when I'm not working. It's something that I, I really have to like check myself for. But I also try and remind myself that trying to feel busy all the time is a product of this like capitalistic society that we live in. We're, we're always meant to feel like we need to burn out, we need to push ourselves. But I really encourage people to just tap into their joy during this season. Like, what does it mean for you to, to rest? What does it mean for you to find happiness and community? What does it mean for you to connect with loved ones? Asking these really basic questions can encourage us to make healthier habits. And I'm, I also think that, you know, I know I talk a lot about system changes, but I think there are simple things that we can do to really embody a more sustainable Christmas. And, you know, I always talk about sustainability in terms of mental health as well. We think about sustainability in terms of number crunching and materials and, and finances and shopping. But I also think sustainability is about your mental health and making sure that you are basically living in a way that prepares you for long-term happiness and success and and productivity in a way that's yeah basically like taking your time I really think that it's important to to think realistically about like what brings people joy um yeah what are, what are, what are you doing for presents this year because I've had this uh this same kind of question as I'm trying to get presents together being like I do not want to do just kind of buying consumery stuff but what am I going to do that's going to make people feel like I'm still showing them care? I've I've been learning how to make terrariums actually out of like old Ooh, bottles, so which nice. has been quite a fun process. Um, but yeah, what what have you been doing? So a few things actually. The first thing I do is I ask people what they want or they what rather what they need, because I think a lot of the time we just buy things for people without really considering if there's something that they want. Um, yeah, so I try and ask people, but I also am conscious of the fact that I try not to buy anything new. And people know me well enough to know that they're not going to be insulted if I buy something from a charity shop for them. If anything, they think it's more thoughtful and more unique. Um, I, I do tend to buy charity shop gifts and they've all been really, really well received <laughs> as well. And you kind of mentioned terrariums, like you can find amazing little trinkets and glass um, jars and stuff that you can create stuff out of. I like to make my own candles um, as well. So I, I do get like odd shaped vessels from different charity shops and just make different little scented candles there. Um, I'm also someone who really believes in redistribution of wealth. So I encourage people like 
if they are up for it, um, for me to give them a donation on behalf of the charity that they choose. It's not something that everybody loves. Like some people do like to receive physical gifts, but a lot of people I've spoken to actually really value that. Um, mm. So I try and redistribute some of my own wealth through gifting it. But I, I love to gift plants. I think plants are just oh, so wholesome. I need to be a plant mum. Yes. Make me a plant mum now. I need it. I've got a few but but I've got the ones that are, um, are hard to kill so I've got an aloe aloe vera one and a, and a money plant and they say hard to kill but they're looking a bit wary right now I'm still like, I'm so sorry <laughs> I think succulents being hard to kill is a myth I can yeah. keep everything except succulents alive succulents like, are really hard I think to lie yeah well I the thing that I do is um have you ever heard of a Swiss cheese plant monstra they've got like the big holes in them no like, they're really gorgeous plants they're they're kind of like super um gen z like graphic design but the brilliant thing about them is i have like two of them but i take cuttings from them all the time so they have these like little sections called nodes and then they have little roots that grow out but if i cut the bottom of them then i just like pop it in some soil and gift it to a friend and it just grows back so it's just like constant propagation but also it just looks super nice as well because you don't necessarily have to pop it into soil but you can propagate the roots in like an old glass jar and yeah go to a charity shop find like a nice little vessel to put it in pop a plant in and hey presto you've got a gift okay Tori so to end we usually ask our guests um this question um to really uplift and end us on an, in a empowering way so what at the minute is giving you hope and this could be about your climate advocacy your mental health advocacy or just life in general I think community more than anything one of the things that I've really learned or grown to appreciate this year is I know that COVID's been awful and it's been so awful for so many communities but if anything it's made us stronger I found so many people through my advocacy found so many people who have been kind of searching for other people to connect with as well and I've made some great friends this year and I think that's just really a testament to like how important community is so for me I think that's only going to continue like we see how much mobilization and climate work can be achieved when we work together um, so for me I think that that's only going to continue into 2021 and there are some really cool projects that I'm working on um, I can't say too much about them they're not just cent they're not centering sort of my advocacy per se but they're just a collective of awesome people who want to make a difference in the world and who want to engage and, and work together so that's what's giving me hope brilliant that's really nice um and is there anything that you do want to shout out obviously there's sounds some like some secret exciting things going on there but is there anything yeah you want to direct people to um or yeah kind of where can they find you yeah, so I'm on Instagram at Tori Choi underscore um, T-O-R-I-T-S-U-I underscore. And I'd really, really like to direct people to a sort of project that my friend Francis is facilitating at the moment called Climate Live. And it's supposed to be the first ever global climate concert. And Francis started this and just like mobilised lots and lots of youth. Um, and I'm working on it to some degree as well. So yeah, it's going to be hopefully next year or depending on COVID. And obviously we have to be really sensible about this stuff, but it's it's going to be phenomenal, I think. And it's it's just a testament to like the power of music and the power of the youth movement as well. Oh, brilliant. That is a Fantastic. awesome way to end. OK, Tori, it's been wonderful having you here. Um, thank you so much. Thank Bye. You so much. Take care. Cheers. Bye. 
it was so good to speak to Tori. I found that really interesting. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. And it's really nice to also be reminded that you can try and treat sort of the Christmas and holiday season as a attempt to actually relax instead of put loads of pressure on yourself to buy everyone the perfect present and like do everything. Uh, so that's a good reminder. Yeah. And I loved like the framing of seeing um, rest as an act of resistance. I really love and I didn't mention it in the in the conversation, but the world is always just trying to create us into some something we're not, or to you know capitalize from our insecurities and actually tapping out of that and intentionally saying no, I'm resting because I deserve this, I need this. I think it's 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 a really like um it's a new way to look at things, and I think it could be really useful for so many people. Yeah, I agree. I think we've got a real culture in this country of product productivity being sort of a measure of people's value. I think. And- and I definitely feel it if like I'm not doing something that could be kind of read as being productive, I feel guilty. And then I worry about if I'm being productive enough, which is uh, kind of self-defeating because then I'm spending more time worrying about being productive than actually doing anything anyway. Uh, but there's definitely an element of that of being like, actually, we don't have to fall into that. I don't have to to live by those rules um, is a really nice, it's a really, yeah, it's a really nice way of looking at it. I like that a lot. But before we end, so Tori mentioned that one of her gift-giving ideas is to sometimes donate um, uh, to charities. Um, and if you'd like to give a gift to the planet um, as a, a Christmas gift this year, then please head to our website, uh, friendsoftheearth.uk, where you can do that. A gift for people and planet is always one that's cherished and deserved. And we even have a, a lovely certificate that you'll get so that you can still gift something on, on the day to people as well. So um, yeah, head there if you're interested in doing that. Um, and if you're interested in sending cards that don't require a bunch of printing and uh, postage as well then we also have a platform where you can send digital Christmas cards to people who you may not be able to see this year Um, and yeah so check those out if they're of interest to you Um, and before we actually go though Mona I feel like we need a minute just to say to do what do you have do you have a goodbye for the podcast do you want to say your farewells (laughs) <laughs> I was, uh, well I was just gonna say I mean keep up the good fight I think this podcast we've explored so many issues around eco-anxiety how to speak to how to speak about climate what you can do I want everyone who's listened to this to know that your voice matters um you don't need to be an, uh, an activist or whatever that means to have your say or to engage you matter your voice matters and I hope this podcast and our work over the period of you know it's been over a year has gone some way to help empower and amplify your voice so I will miss you all very much that's my that's my sad message okay well before Muna and I go and cry in our separate corners um uh thanks for listening and like and subscribe if you'd like to keep hearing from us um and if you'd yeah like other people to hear from us as well um and we'll see you in the new year take care bye bye emotion